Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me today. My brother, mm-hmm. Jay Harvey. So glad to have you. Thanks for having me back. I'm always glad to be here. We're not really brothers in the ordinary sense, but we right. are brothers. We've walked side by side for a few years, Jay. You baptized me. Wow. Now now you're getting into the yes. into the deep water. 21 years ago. Has it been 21 years? 20, yeah. And... And this is as far as you can come? This is as far as I can go right <laughs> no, here. You, That's it. No, you are an outstanding guy. So glad to be in your company. Thanks for coming alongside. Thank and you. today we've got another brother in the room who is also, even as we are not related, he's not related to us, but we are brothers here. We're going to talk about why. But in this world of so much tension and so much talk about race, we're here to bring you Derek Grant, one of the best young African-American guy who is a rock star. Mm-hmm. I mean, Derek, thanks so much for coming with us. Thank you for having me. Derek Grant, I say you're a rock star because you have done what I could only dream about. You play basketball. Okay, I don't even play basketball. When I have four sons. We have a basketball hoop. We got one of those really fine gorilla goals in my driveway. <laughs> goals. You know, you can hang on the rim and all that. My boys were all into it. Okay, three out of the four of them were one, not so much. But they were all about that. And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to just get out there and, you know, shoot some hoops with the boys. And every time I did that, you know, they, they looked at me and they said, Hey, Dad, hmm. could you go in and get us some popsicles or something? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you are not enhancing our experience. So what I'm saying is anybody that can take a ball, dribble it, and put it in the hoop, you're already light years ahead of me. But you didn't just play ball. You played for the Harlem Globetrotters. Tell me one thing about the Globetrotters mm. that is amazing. I mean, I know stuff, but you're on the inside. Eight years with the Globetrotters. Give me an amazing thing about them. Uh, people probably don't realize the amount of travel that we do. Um, oh, they're globetrotters. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, they they, are. So I remember one year, I think it was my fourth year, I all my miles for airlines that year had um, equated to being 25,000 miles that year, which is one time around the earth. Like, yeah, I went right. around the earth one time, and um, and then one time we did, we actually did the logging of how many, our bus miles in the United States. Mm-hmm. And from May, sorry, from December to May, we did something like 12,000 miles. Oh, my uh, goodness. With 12. tires. And, Jim, yeah. you know about that. You travel, so you guys yeah. really understand what that what that really means, right? Yeah, I, I get mean, the plane trip, but, hey, wow. 12,000 miles with, like, rubber tires under me. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. All right, yeah. so that's a lot of uh, travel time where you're with a group of guys. Tell me, did you develop friendships? Do you still have friends who uh, played ball with you, or is that something that's just kind of closed as you've not been on the team now? I do have some relationships. I have like three or four guys that we're still close and really keep in contact with each other. And um, But yeah, it's, we share memories that you can never take away from us. Mm. Okay, Derek's played uh, for the Globetrotters, but right now you're training elite athletes. You're coming alongside uh, young athletes, uh, and you're still a young guy yourself. That's from my vantage yes, point yes, he is. As, as a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, and, and you're still influencing people. And that's uh, one reason that we respect you, Derek. And again, full disclosure, I've known you for a while. I officiated your wedding. I've seen you up close and personal. And I know that you're the real deal. Thanks for using your life to speak into the lives of others for the good. You're not just about yourself. Yeah. 
No, thank you for that. And I mean, I credit to obviously my parents, but my mom specifically, she was a professor, a teacher. She comes from an educational background. And so I like to say I, I inherited her side of wanting to teach, whether it's the game of basketball, and then it's kind of transformed into uh, the game of life and teaching young people, people of all, actually all ages, how to fish instead of just giving fish. And that's kind of been my life, my life's purpose, I think. Well, it works. And uh, thanks for influencing people even beyond what you know. That all said, you're speaking into our world today because you're a young African-American guy. You have had success, but you also understand what it's like to grow up black in America. And that is a different trip than Jay or I have taken. Right. Uh, We have our own stories to tell, but right now we want to hear your story. We just want to know what it's like to grow up black in America. And is racism really a thing? Yeah, absolutely. No, racism is real and it's alive and you know people who look like me they deal with it daily I, t- I talk to people all the time I actually just had a conversation this weekend with a family friend someone we've known for years she had made a post on Facebook that was offensive and especially with all the you know the climate where our country is right now and I had a choice I had a choice my flesh said I'm angry I want to lash out but then I had to settle down and say, you know what, what does is, what is my Heavenly Father want? And so I told my wife, I said, call her on FaceTime. I want to talk to her. So we called her up, and I talked to her for about 40 minutes. And one of her last statements was, I don't know, maybe I am racist. Uh, which, at the beginning of the conversation, she would never even occur to her. Right. But by the time she talked with you for a while, she began to reconsider, maybe I've got some stuff going here I need to clean up. Yes, mm. and mm. that self-reflection, I hope and pray that that will be enough for her to say, this isn't how I want to be. But in talking to her, she had prejudices and she had uh, biased views that she had because it was passed down from her parents. And then I'm sure her parents, it was passed down from her grandparents and so forth and so on, going all the way back to slavery, going all the way back to where this country, the marginalization of people of color when it was founded. So I'm coming from a place of compassion, of trying to understand, just as Jesus did with us, right. that some may not know. Some just don't know. Right. And I, this is a statement. You don't know what you don't know. Now, there are some who are aware sure. and that are blatantly like, I don't like people who don't look like me. Right. But I'm trying to show grace to those and, and educate those who don't know that they don't know. Exactly. I have a good friend who is an African-American who told me once not long ago, he said, I grew up and I learned all about Shakespeare, Plato, and Voltaire, and Kant, all, all these great minds and intellectuals. I can give you chapter and verse on all those guys because I had to, and they're all white guys. Now, you, Jim, tell me about all the black great minds you can quote. And I just looked at him. Uh, he said, that's privilege mm. because I was framed by a civilization that elevated great white minds, and they are, but you have the privilege of not caring about any other culture because you don't have to. It's not because you're bad. It's just because you are. Mm. I'm, I'm just, that yeah. came to my yeah, mind as you were no. talking about the emoji. It's the same thing. Absolutely. There's a certain just common knowledge that everyone, no matter what your color, has to own to survive in our civilization. 
Derek, we've talked some about racism and privilege and these kind of frames of reference, and they're baked into our history and culture. Uh, again, I think many people like me grew up in a world where slavery was old news. Yeah, we got we did with that, and we got that big memorial to the Lincoln guy, and you know, Civil War is over a long time ago. Uh, so why are we still talking about that? But actually, you're you're helping us see that actually slavery is not just an event. It's not just a point in time. It's a process of building economies and cultures and social structures. And even though it's not possible to own anyone as chattel property anymore in this country, there are still ways in which systems and the legacy of that darkness still influences us. And I mean, these are all things that people talk about in sociological classes and philosophy classes and so on, and and that's all I've got merit. But I think you also have said to me before that the core of racism is not in the intellectual sphere so much as it is in the seat of our will. It's it's about who we are, what we describe as the heart. Talk to me about that. Absolutely. Because people are saying now everything going on, protesters, you know, the pros, the rioters, they're, we're lumping everybody into one category. And then we're doing the same thing with police officers. We're saying, oh, well, you know, the police officers are the one who are, and I say, it's not, it's not that simple because what happened with George Floyd, what happened with Ahmaud Arbery, all these injustices that have taken place, if those police officers were school bus drivers, their character would have shown through while somebody would have, somebody have died. I'm not sure, but it starts at the root of someone's heart, right? What they do is just an occupation. And here's, I go a little deeper with this. If you have somebody who has bad character and they're a teacher, you'll see it. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody who has a bad character and they're a FedEx driver, you'll see it. If you have someone who has bad character, but then also they have an occupation that allows them, that gives them the authority to take a life at their discretion, now this is a dangerous cocktail that we're mixing. And this is why it's so important I've been saying because someone asked me, well, maybe we need to have more diverse uh, law, enforcement. law enforcement. Yeah. I said, that's not the problem. The problem is not properly training those who aren't minorities on how they may be perceived, right? So if I know how you'll perceive me, that will change how I come at you. You know, here's a good example of it. I was, um, me and my wife were pulled over. Officer came around to the passenger side. He asked me to get out of the car, which my wife had never seen before. You were driving the car. I was driving the car, and my wife is white, and he asked me to get out. So I walk around in the back of the car, and now here I am standing here on the side of an interstate, and I'm 6'2", black guy, 6'2", 200 pounds at the, at the time. This guy was probably 5'8", maybe 160. I, because of the way I was raised, because of what my parents have taught me, I understood that he deems me as a threat, whether it's because of in physical stature but probably because of racially, he's seeing I'm bigger than what he like. This is this is scary for him. I'm six two, and it would not have been my same trip. Right. So, you so I, it's your color that makes a difference. Exactly. So I'm I, I'm aware of that, and it's this is privilege that if you're not African American in this country, you don't even have to think about that. I had to think about that. I had to be aware of this police officer's perception of how I'm perceived because my mom used to always tell me she used to say, "How you're perceived is their reality." Right. It's their reality. At that time, I'm a threat. And here's why I wasn't when I became a non-threat when I told him I played basketball for the Harlem Globetrotters. And we used to say with the, oh, this is we used to say this when we played with the Globetrotters. We used to say this all the time, guys in the, in the within the team. 
white people love the Globetrotters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the reality. White people love the Globetrotters because we're safe. Yeah. We're, well, obviously yeah. skilled and yeah. talented and urbane in a way. Right. Yeah. And you'd have to know the, the history of how the Globetrotters were founded. And if you don't know the history, then me saying that may be offensive. But we were non-threatening because we were brought in to entertain white crowds. Like, mm-hmm. you, I don't know if you remember Curly Neal yeah. um, sliding around. And I, that's what I used to do when I was with the Globetrotters. People probably don't know how that started was when the Savoy Big Five, that was the name of the Globetrotters when they started, would go into ballrooms to entertain white fans, right? But they weren't allowed to sit in the stands with the white fans. And one of the players' shorts caught on fire because the heater was he got too close to it, and he started dribbling around, sliding, trying to get oh my the fire put out. Unbelievable. And the crowd thought it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, the crowd thought it was hilarious. So this is how – so my point is, is we're viewed in a light that's different. We've always said – and this is being aware. I know that when I say I played for the Harlem Globetrotters, I am viewed differently right. than an African-American who says they play for right. someone else. Yeah, right, right. So, right. But in, in your right. narrative, wow. the police officer, the man in uniform – sure. Uh, he has. There's something inside of him, and it's not about the uniform. There are 800,000 policemen in this country, right, right. and we all know that good folks, good men and women, uh, in the main, for sure. Just like in any profession, the issue is what's in his heart. Right. What's his capacity to see you without prejudging your situation? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. This is it's the sinner. Right, it's it's the person, it's the end of it's the sin, it's the individual person. Now, Jim, I know that 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 Jesus tells us so in everything, do to others. But how do we get people? That, I think that's the question. How do we get people to examine their own heart? As we think about racism and the way in which it's resident in the heart, it doesn't matter whether you put on uniform or not. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. It doesn't matter where you came from. But if you look at other people and prejudge them because you have some right to do so, or you think you do, or you have some privilege that you think you have, or some sense of entitlement, or maybe you're not even aware of those things, but you've been framed in a way that makes you look at the other as a threat or different from you. That's not going to be solved until you look at your own heart and become self-aware about your own self uh, and become confident in who you are without having to make that over somebody else. I mean, Derek, you're a guy who walks with confidence because you know exactly who you are. You also understand the reality of your world, and you've had to because as a black man growing up in this country, you've had to learn some things that most white people like me haven't had to learn. But here we are in an intersection of our country where all of us can take a moment and stop and look at our own hearts and figure out what's down there. I love what Jesus said, the sum of the law and the prophets. If you took all of the Bible, all of the Old Testament, and you put it all together, and you condensed it down, he said, this is what it would say. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. We call it the golden rule, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And actually, that is the remedy for racism. I don't want to be treated differently because of the color of my skin. I want to see Derek, and I want to relate to Derek as my peer. I don't want him to look at me and think that I'm going to take something from him or try and overpower him. Vice versa, I don't want him, I don't want to look at him and think he's, he's taking me down. I want to treat him with respect. I want to be treated with respect. It's an equity 
That's the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about. That's what we're about here. And Jesus also said to Nicodemus famously, you know what? You're not going to get to that kingdom thing unless you're born again, unless you allow me to recreate you and renew you from the inside out. You'll never be able to realize the beauty and the wonder of relationships and life in the kingdom. Folks, wherever you are today, whatever your trip, whatever your color, wherever you came from, we're just telling you that the first step you need to take to bring peace to this troubled world is for your own heart to be recreated by Christ and then empowered to treat other people like you want to be treated. It's that simple. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. Let Jesus change your heart and then let him breathe his spirit into you so you can actually bring that golden rule to life. Do it with us right now. Pray right now. Dear Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus into this world so that we could get it, so that we could see what life could be, even as we see by the light of his life how broken this world is. We're so thankful for Jesus and what he has done for us, that he has himself taken our failure and our sin, all of our broken junk, and he put it on his own back and he died for us. He paid our dues so that we could be free to be recreated and born again, Lord. I'm asking that you'll just make in me a new heart. Help me to see what I have missed. Help me to find where the dark shadows are. Recreate in me new vision like heaven sees, like the mind of Christ. And help me, Lord, to learn to treat other people with respect, even people that I haven't seen before. And people who don't look like me, don't talk like me, don't move like me, help me to respect as I want to be respected. We pray, Lord, for healing in our hearts so that we might be healers in our land. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to know more? You want to catch a glimpse of what Jesus can actually do? Give us a call. Just dial up this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're by the phone. We're waiting for you to call. Give us a call. Jay, I know that some people may not want to call just yet, but they would like to know more. Yes. Where would they find us online? Well, if this internet thing continues to hang around, um, it would be www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's exactly who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. Send us an email. We will reply. Maybe you're accessing this conversation online already. And if you're on Facebook, for instance, just send us a message through that feed on this post. We watch it. We'll get back to you. Or at the last, just use the post office. Write me a letter. Get out a pen and some paper and write down on the envelope, Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you go online, call us up, use the post office, let us hear from you. Dear Grant, so proud to know you. Thanks for coming alongside. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, every time we talk to you, we just want to talk some more. Yes, oh, we do. And guess what? We're going to do it again next week. Good. Jay Harvey, so good to see you. Thanks for having me here, Jim. Thank you for being with us. We do hope that you'll join us again next week as we continue to talk some more with Derek about life in these United States and in this world these days. Until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned. Thank you.